0: this is as far as you go no more this is it Shh. it's the film flavors hey guys i'm chris Hey everybody, I'm Robert. And we're the Film Flamers. And we are bringing you some more summer blockbuster content and starting a new franchise. That's right. finishing a franchise, hopefully this month. Yeah, I think so, actually.
1: (laughs) Because uh, the last couple of years we've been going through, as part of our summer blockbusters, we have been going through the Alien franchise, and related to that is the predator franchise for better or for worse that's right right so we've already covered alien versus predator over on patreon so now we are kicking off the predator franchise in kind of a chronological order timeline order
0: whatever yeah with the latest entry actually which is 2022's prey which chris and i both found very very good whenever we watched it last year when it was released That's right. Surprising. I feel like we watched it right around release time, too. Like We were looking forward to it. Yeah. It was released on Hulu, not in the theaters. That's right. So this is the first time that we have deep dove into a movie that has no box office-like history. It it never played at a theater. Is this also uh, the first movie from the 2020s that we've covered, maybe? I don't know the answer to that question, but it's certainly the most recent. Okay. So lots of firsts in this episode. That's right. Mm -hmm. But not the first in the Predator series. So Prey is a 2022 American science fiction action film directed by Dan Trachtenberg and written by Patrick Azen. Part of the Predator franchise, Prey is the seventh film in the overall franchise and a prequel to the first four films. It stars Amber Midthunder, Dakota Beavers, Dane Liegro, Michelle Thrush, Stormy Kip, Julian Black Antelope, and Bennett Taylor. The score was composed by Sarah
1: Schockner. The story revolves around a young Comanche woman, Naru, who is striving to prove herself as a hunter. She finds herself having to protect her people from a vicious humanoid alien that hunts humans for sport, as well as from French fur traders who are massacring the buffalo they rely on for survival. The film was shot in English, with words and phrases of Comanche sprinkled throughout, but later the film was fully dubbed in Comanche by the cast, making it the
0: first film to have a full Comanche dub. Ooh. Okay, listeners. This is as far as you go. No more. This is it. Except keep listening. (laughs) This is prey.
1: Why do you want to hunt?
0: Because you all think that I can't. I saw a sign in the sky. I'm ready. (laughs) Ma oi nita.
1: knows how to hunt.
0: I know how to survive.
1: Great Plains of North America in 1719, a young Comanche woman, Naru, played by Amber Midthunder, dreams of becoming a Disney princess, as the Mouse Company now owns 20th Century Studios. (laughs) But which princess should she model her audition after? She has, in fact, heard the wolf cry to the blue corn moon, but Pocahontas seems too easy. She's trained as a healer, but longs to be a great hunter, like her brother, Tob played by Daniel Beavers, so she goes for Mulan instead, despite the misgivings of her mother, Aruka, played by Michelle Thrush. One day, while tracking deer with her patented Disney sidekick, a uh, dog, Sari, Naru sees strange lights in the sky and believes this to be a thunderbird and a sign that she is ready to prove herself to be a hunter. She tells Tob that she is ready for the rite of passage, which involves her hunting something that is also hunting her. As luck would have it, a member of the tribe has been taken by a lion, and a search party is formed. Much to the party's chagrin, Naru tags along. They find the wounded tribesman and make him ready for the trip home. Naru finds strange large tracks and a skinned rattlesnake, and she and another tribesman remain behind with Tob to hunt the mountain lion. Naru devises a plan to trap the mountain lion, and comes face to face with the large cat high in a tree. During the kitty kerfuffle, she's distracted by strange lights and sounds in the distance. She falls out of the tree and knocks herself unconscious. She awakens from her audition at Sleeping Beauty, finding that she was carried home by Todd, who later returns carrying the dead mountain lion and is named War Chief. Convinced that there is greater danger in the woods, Naru and Sari set out to kill the threat and prove herself a hunter. Forgetting that, warner brothers has yet to be purchased by disney she stumbles into the swamps of sadness and is momentarily trapped remember your atreyu training she thinks she has to try she has to care she pulls herself out of the bog only to be surprised by a bear later on (laughs) what later on (laughs)
0: it's
1: true naru is trapped by the bear which is suddenly attacked and killed by an invisible creature Naru escapes and runs into a search party sent to retrieve her. She fights back against them, but the group of men is attacked by the same invisible creature. Naru is clever and notices three strange lights that serve as targets for the arrows deployed by this creature. All but one man is killed and he and Naru escape into the tall grass, where the final man is killed. Naru is caught by a foot trap and the creature spares her, but a group of big stinky French fur trappers do not. They capture and cage her in Sari. The group's interpreter, Raphael, played by Bennett Taylor, questions Naro about the creature, whom they have encountered as well. When she refuses to talk, they reveal that they have also captured Top. They give him some old-fashioned torturing and decide to use them both as bait for the creature, whom they intend to capture. The creature arrives and kills most of the Frenchmen, while Naro and Top escape. Naro returns to the camp to save Sari and finds Raphael, who teaches her to use her pistol in exchange for her skills as a healer since he's missing a leg now she gives him herbs that reduces body heat to slow the bleeding the creature arrives and Raphael plays dead Nara realizes that the creature can't see him due to his cooler body after it accidentally steps on Raphael he screams and is immediately killed
0: <laughs> Ow my severed leg <laughs> my phantom limb <laughs> you stepped on my phantom limb <laughs> meered,
1: meered. <laughs> Okay. Tob arrives on horseback and together they weaken the creature, but Tob is ultimately killed. Naru flees and finds a surviving Frenchman who she uses as bait. She uses the pistol to ambush the creature, knocking off its mask. She steals the helmet and lures the creature back into the bog. She positions the mask to face the swamps of sadness. The creature becomes mired in the swamp, but has no Atreya training. Instead of trying or caring, it fires the projectiles at Naru and misses. The mask guides the arrows into the creature, killing it. Victorious, Naru severs its head and paints her face with its green blood. She returns to the camp with the head, where she's declared the new war chief and Disney princess. She tells her tribe that it's time to move. A series of indigenous paintings depict Naru's successful rite of passage. But the final painting, Shows the tribe witnessing the arrival of three strange vessels in the sky. The
0: end? Prey premiered at San Diego Comic Con on July 21st, 2022, and then was later released on the streaming service Hulu on August the 5th. According to 20th Century Studios, Prey was the most-watched premiere across all films and television series on Hulu in the United States, and was the most-watched program across all platforms during the week of August the 12th. Prey holds a
1: 94% on Rotten Tomatoes and is certified fresh, obvi. The audience score currently sits at 73%, though, so that's quite the little window there. We've seen way bigger windows than that. Basically. We have, but I'm surprised at this. Yeah, so the site's consensus reads the rare action thriller that spikes adrenaline without skimping on character development prey is a predator sequel done right so we can compare that score to the original (laughs) film uh, predator which holds an 81 percent critic score but an 87 percent audience score so a little bit of a nostalgia boner going there for the collective audiences and I'm sure that we'll talk about that score a little bit more next week whenever we do Predator as well. Right? right. So, Metacritic gave the film a weighted average score of 71 out of 100, indicating generally favorable reviews, and it became the highest rated Predator film on both websites.
0: So, I mean, obviously critics think this one is the best. And it
1: is. But, of course, I haven't seen Predator in,
0: like, 15 years, so I might be eating my words next week. I have not seen it in a very long time either. Maybe even longer than that. So, well, yeah. looking okay. forward. Get to the chopper. get to the chapel david fear of rolling stone referred to the film as a long-awaited masterpiece and series highlight and compared mid thunder's character favorably to ellen ripley of the alien films andrew webster of the verge admired how patient it is adding what prey makes work is its simplicity it never strays from its concept instead slowly building up the tension before reaching a very exciting battle Balin edwards of mashable called it Intimate and character-driven, with more than enough action to satisfy the most die-hard Predator fans. Even if you've never watched a Predator movie, chances are you'll love Prey. It's just that good. I would say, especially. Yeah, you know, you don't have to have seen any.
1: You don't. I, th- I would say actually, all of the Predator films are kind of standalone.
0: I mean, like a. I mean, it's a good prequel in a sense that. Yeah, I mean, well, Predator Two kind of. It's completely different. Yeah place and time and none of the same characters right i feel like this character maybe just lends itself to that then i don't know but i mean this movie especially like you have to you can have no knowledge it's just a character that's there you don't have to ask you don't have to question why it's there you know so perfect In a 3.5 out of 4-star review,
1: Odie Henderson of RogerEbert.com praised Naru's character in the representation of the Comanche nation and called the film, quote, a scary and fun amusement park ride that also elicits a surprisingly tender emotional response. Wendy Eide, in a 4-star review in The Observer, said that Prey stays true to the essence of the original, stylishly violent, stickily graphic, and possibly tense, but that it was also successful as a, quote, self-contained entity. Just like we said. stickily graphics. stickily graphics.
0: (laughs) There's some accolades and legacy and another first for the Film Flamers. At the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards, it was nominated for Best Lead Performance, but that lost to Mia Goth and Pearl. Wow. Yeah. It won Best Creature Effects, Best Costume Design, and Best Streaming Premiere Film. At the Primetime Emmy Awards that are pending, Mm -hmm. that's the first, right? Yep. Um, It's up for Outstanding Directing and Outstanding Writing. And at the Creative Arts Emmys, which are kind of combined in the same uh, award ceremony, I think. These are also pending. It's nominated for Best Outstanding Television Movie, Outstanding Music Composition, Outstanding Editing, and Outstanding Sound Editing. If it doesn't win for Outstanding Television Movie, I'm going to flip fucking tables. Yes, for sure. Like, I've never (laughs) wanted to watch the Emmys so much in my life. Mostly, I don't give a shit about the Emmys, but like... Right. Like, actually, this year, I'm really into it. Now,
1: especially since I know this is up for Emmys, which is interesting to me. Like, I don't think of movies necessarily want to think of Emmys?
0: I mean, we have to stop thinking about... But it's TV
1: is streaming, right? So that's what it's up for. And then also I watched something called Jury
0: Duty, Mm -hmm. which is also up for four Emmys. So I'm like, I'm into it. So now is the time. A lot of movies are submitting themselves as film, like to the Oscars, right? Instead of the Emmys. And I assume that the creators of Prey... Submitted it to the Television Awards, the Television Academy, maybe because they have a higher chance of winning. No, you know, I think because they had to, because it didn't have a theatrical release at all. Zero. Nothing, that's right. Not but one theater. Back when this movie was released, like a lot of people were not having that rule. Even the Oscars didn't. As long as it premiered on a streaming service, you could submit it. Now it was, the rules have changed.
1: I think they changed right around the time. I think this was a really big... We're going to talk about this, right? Because okay. this was a really, really, it was like the last of the day and dates Yep. and all of that ink had dried probably about a year before it came out because everyone, including us, was talking about why is this not being released in the theater? Everything else is in the theaters now. That's right. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Because I mean, the pandemic
0: had died down a little it bit was by a then. A lot. This was literally this time last year, basically, right? It has been a year. Oh my God. We're doing this right on the anniversary of its like streaming release. Apparently. Wow, we just waited a full year for you guys to do it. Didn't even know it.
1: <laughs> I felt like it came out like in 2020 or something, but no, it's only been a year and I've already yep. seen this movie three times. You've seen it three times already? I saw it when it came out. I saw it because I wanted to show someone. Yep. I think I might have shown Matt. Okay. Um, and then uh, we realized, hey, we're going to do the
0: Predator franchise. I was like, why not start with this one? Because it's such a joy to watch. That's right. You I think what? originally we were going to put this in a Patreon category, were we not? Right? And that is a mistake. Like, yeah, this, we were going to go Predator, Predator 2,
1: and then we're like, mm, no, we need to do a deep dive on Prey. Yeah, Prey's a good Yeah. Prior to the film's release, Trachtenberg stated in June that there are discussions for additional installments to be developed after the release of Prey, saying that their intent was to, quote, do things that have not been done before in the franchise. Well, you already did that. Yep. Um, apparently, the internet officially wants a Samurai Predator film- I like that. I like, I like the premise of going through different points in time for yeah, Predators, same. you know, but they might make a common franchise mistake, which is to literally just commit to the high concept and really focus on the Predator. Instead of this movie, the Predator is almost incidental. I would agree. Right? Which is the right way to
0: do it. Agreed 100%. Right. Right. The best parts of this movie have nothing to do with the villain. And I I like so much about this movie is that The Predator is invisible for like 95% of its screen time.
1: The Predator brings a bunch of of movie baggage, for better or worse, mostly for better, because there's a huge fan base out there, right? So it adds a layer of mythology and meaning that maybe people don't appreciate or know about if they're watching this in isolation, right? And they have never seen another Predator movie. Which is good for an movie. enjoyable for both. And they add a lot of tidbits and Easter eggs for the people that are fans of the franchise, mm-hmm. right? So it already adds this huge layer to it, you know? So why not leave it at that?
0: I mean, I agree. That's well said. Perfect. So.
1: Speaking of some of the best parts of this movie, let's talk about the cast. My God, this cast is fucking stellar. They really stuck to their guns as far as Hiring people that are of actual Native American descent.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, like the people who are cast in those roles are indigenous, right? Yes, so, all, yeah, yeah. Like all of them. So,
1: everyone that you saw playing an indigenous character is indigenous or has that heritage, right? And some of them even were Comanche heritage on some side, you know. Mm-hmm. Starting with Amber Midthunder as Naru, right? And I only remember her from a TV show called Legion with one of our favorite horror actor guys that played ended up playing beast in the stupid live action beating the beast what is his name he was in the guest Dan Stevens Dan yeah. Stevens mm-hmm. <laughs> he's been in everything he's such an eclectic career right he was on I fucking Downton legion. Abbey <laughs> yeah he was
0: on Downton Abbey he was in uh the guest right he uh he's incredibly good looking and i have not seen legion although i i kind of wanted to based on like the, the it's very horror and of yeah. course amber
1: midthunder's clone Aubrey Plaza, (laughs) bigger sister, (laughs) plays the the main bad guy
0: in that film. Really? Really? In that TV series. It's really worth seeing. It's very horror. It's a horror show. So I... Have I've not recognized her from anything? You know what I mean. But I looked her up on IMDb, and I was like, she has a pretty large career in television, right? And I'm like, I'm surprised that I at least haven't heard her name before. Prey, of course, like after this movie, I've I learned what her name was because I thought she does an amazing job in this movie. She really carries this movie really, really well. She's a really great action heroine and is believable, like from start to finish in this movie. And I. a really good
1: actress. So. Right. And speaking of really good actors, uh, the guy who plays her brother, this is his first time ever in a movie or filmed role at all. And his name is Dakota Beavers and he played Tob, right? And like for his first acting role ever. No, I mean, like I wouldn't have known that he basically like, along with her, he kind of carries the movie. Cause this right. movie is like centered around three characters, right? Amber really, mm-hmm. you know, 90% of it. And then the other is like her brother and then her mother. Well, his bro- his mother too, right? Mm.
0: Who's played by Michelle Thrush, who's been in shit tons of stuff, right? I would say, I mean, like if you're going to throw any other actors into this, uh, I would say like the guy who plays like the the really salty tribesman who looks like Rufio. Yeah, you know what I mean. The one with you know I'm the about? red mohawk. Yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. Every
1: time I see him on screen, I'm like
0: Rufio. <laughs> 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 I mean, so I mean, he he does a good job too, and I feel like out of Those four people sort of, like, represent, like, the main characters in this movie. Yeah, and some of the Frenchmen, really. Yes. I mean, well, and one in particular, the guy who plays, like, Raphael, right? everyone is fucking bringing it. Mm -hmm. They They really really are. are. And I want to talk later on about, like, those Frenchmen in general and the way that they're presented in the movie. But, like, he obviously is the main one because he's speaking in English, right? So we pay attention to him more. But uh, what else is So her mom Michelle Thrush has been a lot of things too. Yeah. She's been in a lot. And I think she was up
1: for an Emmy, uh, not too long ago, but, um, a bunch of, uh, I think she's Canadian. Okay. And I think she's in a bunch of like Canadian led TV shows and just, she's been on a bit character since like, um, I think she was like even on Highlander or something as like a native American girl. Wow. Back sure. in the early nineties or something. But She's obviously a a, a nice,
0: warm presence in this film. She really is. I mean, and like she acts so motherly toward both of her children. You know what I mean? Like she doesn't outrightly tell her daughter that she shouldn't be a hunter. You know, she reminds her gently. She's like, but you're so good at this. You know what I mean? And I taught you all of that. Right. And so, but she never says like, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do that. You can't do that. She doesn't tell her no, you know? And it's also alluded that they lost their father. To whatever cause, It's like your father didn't give you that axe to kill. That's right, or to hunt, right? But to heal. Yeah, she was good. I really, really enjoy that. I like this entire family actually. Like, it's believable to me that they're a family unit. Yeah, you know. And again, we don't get to spend a lot of time getting to understand the rest of their community, you know, or getting to know those characters, except for maybe Rufio. And I don't. We we don't need to, you know. I kind of get an idea of what their community is like just based upon that one family unit, right? It it really tells a lot about where they live and who they, like, habitate with just based on those three.
1: Another thing I really think is interesting about this cast and really all the characters, especially on the the indigenous side, is they're all so earnest. All these characters are so earnest. There's not really lies or, or you know, um, manipulations going on. If a character's angry, they're angry, and they're going to say, you're going to come back with us, you know, blah, 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 you know? Yeah. Um, But the brother and the sister relationship here I thought was really, really interesting and cool because there's like there's this jealousy kind of component to it. There's also like, you know, uh, trying to take care of each other kind of situation. They both try and save each other at some point or warn each other about things. And to see that kind of come full circle with, you know, him believing in her and then being so worried about her who wants to keep her safe. Right. And then coming back to believe her again and them working together as equals at the end and then his death was, you know, you felt it.
0: Well, I think you feel it kind of early on, too, because when they're when they're hunting that uh, mountain lion, right, and she comes up with this idea, and he's like, we're going to try her idea. Yep. You know? He just stands up for her. Yeah, he, he's like, no, we're going to do this. Versus
1: everyone else, all the other like warriors are essentially either uh, kind of um, apathetic towards her or outwardly aggressive right. against the idea of her hunting with them.
0: And, I mean, do, is it because she's a woman, right? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I mean, that's what I got too. Although it's not like in your face. You know what I mean? Like, it's implied, but they don't actually say ever, like, well, you're a woman. You can't do this. Right. It's against the gender norm, but not against the law. Right. Right. And I feel like, in, in a situation like they live in, right? I mean, it's a time period and certainly a cultural thing. I mean, like you have to be able to to eat and survive. And if someone has a natural ability to do something, I feel like they wouldn't say, no, you can't do that because you're a woman. Like those norms probably don't exist the way they do well, now. Well, she had right? excellent
1: skills as a tracker and excellent skills as a healer. That's right. You know, and, you know, a hunter ga- or really a gatherer. Right. And so that's what she was kind of meant to do and a maker along with her mother. But she didn't want to just do that. She admired what her father had done, I'm assuming, and uh, admires certainly what her brother is doing and all of the honor and and glory that he's getting. Um, Although he's not basking in it. He's not asking for it. He just is that way, you know, which
0: makes it even more attractive to her, you know? Well, that and I feel like there is some sort of rivalry going on, but a lot of it is like ribbing to each other. You can tell that they're closest siblings, right? That one scene where they're like trying to shoot that hawk out of the sky, right? Mm-hmm. And he's telling a story and she pretends to sleep and then he actually kills the bird and she's yeah. like, Well now you have to walk across the water to get it. You know, yeah. what I mean like it's just like that, you know, yeah. back and forth. Yeah. It's a really good like sibling relationship. And I you're right when you say like it's a good family unit and I, I it's kind of refreshing to see a movie where it's not a lot of fighting and not a lot of finger pointing and not a lot of saying, No, you can't do that. Yeah, the interpersonal
1: bullshit yes. you know is, is non existent almost, except for just like the situational stuff. You know, that's kind of built into the culture. And, um, and when there is contention, like actual animosity between the humans, generally it's either because of that culture or it's between two different groups of people, like mm-hmm. the French, yeah. right? And so I think a lot of that's kind of baked into, but they really take their time with it. One of the reviewers was like, the, one of the best things about this movie is that it takes its time. Right, it doesn't. It's not afraid of you know slowly ramping up the tension, but it breaks the tension with big action pieces throughout the movie, not just at Huge the end. Huge action pieces, right? And yet we still feel like we're getting those moments where we can soak in the fucking landscape.
0: Oh my god, it's beautiful,
1: you know. And so it's just like it's such a rare film. Like I feel like it's made the way, ironically, um, or maybe even unironically, the way Ridley Scott used to make movies, which That's was great. really taking their time but still
0: being having those action beats, kind of like Alien. And I don't, I also going to another reviewer, her character being like Ellen Ripley is not too far off. You know what I mean? She's resourceful and resilient in ways that Ellen Ripley is right. She's literally Ellen Ripley in like a different time period, right. And setting. Right. Yeah. And is fully capable in ways that, A lot of like heroines in horror are, but this one I feel like is especially capable. If I had to go out into the woods, the person I would pick to go with me is Naru. Like every fucking day. Oh, hell yeah. Because she can keep me fed. She can help me in my severed leg. And I like her dog. Oh, speaking of which,
1: Coco was a puppers that was adopted and trained just for this movie.
0: I love his dog.
1: Yeah, Coco um, as sorry, And the idea of giving Naru a dog companion was actually inspired by Mad Max too. And that's not the first reference to Mad Max that we're going to have. Yeah. Um, initially Coco was to be in a lot fewer scenes, but they found that uh, with her training and her energy level, they were able to include the dog in a lot more scenes, including some of the action sequences. Um, so the special note here is like, and this is going to come up again and again with the level of detail they go into here is that she is a Carolina dog, which is a rare breed of wild dog that followed the first humans to cross the Bering
0: Strait 16,000 years ago. That is very interesting because I was, you know, watching this and I'm like, I don't recognize that breed of dog. Really? I can't really pinpoint what it is. It's not something that I just looks like all the time. Yeah. It's just like, if you were to look up dog in the dictionary. Yeah. What you're really looking at is proto dog so that's really cool this dog has a lot of fucking personality though and uh you could tell that i, I don't know it just seemed like a really good boy you know or i love that she's speaking comanche
1: to it and getting at yes. hand signals and it's mm-hmm. understanding
0: and at least right. in, the, in the film you know i yeah i just really loved this there are oftentimes we'll see animals on film and i'm just like okay You know, that's fine. And that dog almost dies three
1: times. That's right. It was like the bear. It's almost killed. Mm -hmm. And then uh, it's almost killed by uh, the humans, the Frenchmen, The Frenchman. And then it's almost killed by the predator. And it's saved each time. That's right. You know, it it also saves her from the bear. So like, And all of this is done with visual storytelling. But mind you, Mm -hmm. none of this is in the dialogue. This very low dialogue film. Right. So all of this, we're just watching this and taking this all in and getting all this meaning out of it. (sighs)
0: <sighs> that dog, though. I know.
1: It's <laughs> made me so happy.
0: I was just like, oh, I miss my puppy. Because there's a lot of animal death in this movie. There really is. And I know that, like, with a dog acting that sort of way, and it's such such an energetic, But they good don't kill dog. the fucking dog. <laughs> they don't kill the dog. Because I feel like after, like, a near bunny death and, like, mice, like, cute little mice being eaten and shit like that, I feel like if the dog died, like, people would have rioted. You would have lost your audience or at least a part of them. I guess technically you only see one animal death, right? And that's the wolf. The wolf dies. Well the bear dies. yeah, okay
1: the bear dies, the wolf kills a rabbit or at least catches it in its mouth. <laughs>
0: but it seems to escape
1: and yeah, it does
0: because you see it after. that's right.
1: And then uh it kills
0: and skins the the, the wolf or actually t- t- takes out its spine <laughs> and the so it, it also it skins the snake and the snake kills a rat. yeah, but so. it shows like the
1: the, the 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 mouse killing an insect. And then the snake killing thats snake. So it's watching for prey. Exactly. And it wants to get the highest level of prey it, it has access to in its immediate vicinity at all times.
0: So, and I don't know if you had planned on talking about this or predator, later. Or predator, rather. It wants yeah. to catch other predators. I don't know if you plan on talking about this later on in the conversation or not, but I feel like this predator seems to be like it's on its own journey to prove itself, right? Like it's been dropped off alone to either... Kind of like we saw an AVP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Right. So, I mean, obviously it's what that, you know, group of aliens do, but it is here to like prove itself in some sort of way. Right. And it has to start by learning like what it should be afraid of and what it needs to kill. So it's like step by step going up the fucking food chain. Yeah. There's also a little bit more detail about that later on too. Great. Yeah.
1: I Love it. Uh, before we get into the actual talk of like the film war, and we already have been really, but I kind of want to talk about Dan Trachtenberg a little bit. Okay. He's got a long career. Kind of a, well, kind of, he's our age, right? He's, he's actually really? in between me and your age. Okay. And he's kind of cute. actually. I didn't look him up. Yeah. yeah. So this guy, like, I didn't even know who he was really. And I, I mean, I had looked it up before a little bit, but this guy is kind of like a, a man after my own heart. Right. So he actually started in podcasting. Oh. Just like a nerd show about movies. And they'd begin every episode reenacting a scene from one of their favorite horror movies or th- these other things. Right. And so it was on the totally rad show from 2007 to 2012. He didn't make his first movie until 2012. So that's how he got his start. And he started making uh, commercials like Le- for Lexus, Coca-Cola, and Nike. I don't know the timeline here, mm-hmm. but at some point he made a short film back in 2011 called portal, no escape. And that went viral. He did not have access to the franchise. Uh, which is a, a video game, which is an amazing video game series, but he made this short film and it went absolutely viral. This is back in 2011 and it was a great film. Don't you have like a portal piece of memorabilia or like a, I do. Yeah. Okay. One of the little guns or whatever, but the yeah. portal gun is where you, you know, shoot the wall then it becomes a portal and you can walk through it and you shoot another one. You can walk through portals. And so he had to really show in live action, took a year and a half post-production for this short film to show this person using portals to get around to space and That's to try cool. and escape like a, a jail cell and all that stuff, mm-hmm. and it was really really well done. I remember watching it back then and just being blown away. So I'm guessing that kind of kicked off his career, just being doing a short film, releasing it for free on YouTube, okay. you know, and taking it around, uh, and hoping trusting himself that he didn't get fucking sued. I guess, <laughs> but he eventually got invited to do like Black Mirror. He did the the episode with uh, Wyatt Russell. That was called Playtest. Giant spiders and shit in that one. Yeah, I remember that. And he did an episode of The Boys. He did the pilot of The Lost Symbol in 2021. And he's apparently uh, trying to make a new show based on the movie Waterworld.
0: Why? I don't know. Oh, don't do that, Dan. I know. I know. Oh, no, watch the movie again. You'll change your mind. But anyway, he made some other before all this, he made
1: other some, uh, you know, short films like um, More Than You Can Chew, which was uh, just part of the Black Box TV horror anthology. Okay. And then he made like a short film for the game Warframe. But his first movie ever was in 2016 with 10 Cloverfield Lane. Which is a fucking amazing Which movie. came out of fucking nowhere. Your first movie and it's John Goodman acting his little heart out with Mary Elizabeth fucking
0: Winstead. That's right. Also acting her little heart out. <laughs> I really, really love 10 Cloverfield Lane. I mean, like, there, there will come a time... When we talk about that movie on this podcast, because I loved the fuck out of it. So he's done a bunch
1: of stuff that we've loved. He came from like a similar background. We've already talked about doing shorts ourselves. Right. Yeah. And so it's like, it's just showing me like a career that this guy kind of built for himself without any kind of nepotism or anything like that, you know, uh, without a whole a bunch of, a whole bunch of money, you know? And so, uh, 10 Cloverfield lane coming out of nowhere. In fact, the, the anecdote for that is that it wasn't actually supposed to be a Cloverfield the, the studio was like, we want this to actually make money because it's good, so we're going to stamp this name on it. And put the shit at the end of it. Yeah. yeah? So, I mean, <laughs> Which I'm sure he was more than happy with, actually, judging by his history now.
0: I'm sure. And, I mean, like, that movie works. Even with that additional ending added into it or, like, making it part of, like, the, the Cloverfield mythology, it still fucking works, you know? Yeah. So and- it's
1: like- it's just like after doing all this shit, like the, the short film that he can prove he can do franchises unasked for, you know, he could do 10 Cloverfield Lane with a mantle of something put on top of it. And it worked really, really well. Mm-hmm. It was up for a lot of awards. I think he won something for uh, Director's Guild for like Best First Time Director or something. That's possible. Um, and then that's around the time when that came out. He started writing uh, with his writing partner,
0: Prey. Well, and it goes to show you, too, I mean, like, if he's he, he's done these things like that short film based on, you know, another kind of, like, IP, right? Yeah. And if you're good at that sort of thing and you show some sort of reverence, you can do what you want with these properties. Like, there's no rules. Really. Exactly. Respect. Passion. Right? Yes. We want someone have with passion to have behind this stuff. You have to have those things. I mean, like, if you were to make a movie like Prey and not be as reverent to, like, the Predator itself, you know, it would have been terrible kind of trash right and not a fit in the franchise in some sort of way mm-hmm. and i think he changes the predator enough in this movie to make it interesting and fresh and still be kind of reverent to the source material yeah so
1: so the film began development during the production of the prior predator film titled the predator <laughs> from 2018 good. i, like I actually pretty. haven't seen it i like it uh it has like a 34 percent on, on Rotten Tomatoes so I haven't that's probably why I didn't see it plus it was directed by Shane Black who was a huge writer in Hollywood uh, he did like he also directed Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and Iron Man 3 which I'm not a huge fan of but Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is an amazing film yep I like it a lot and then he was the writer for The Long Kiss Good Night Lethal Weapon 1 and 2 like He's a competent writer and a certainly, you know, an accomplished director in his own right. And so I'm just like, want, want, you know, this first time, like second time director comes from behind and like (laughs) makes this deal while you're making that film. I just think it's funny. Um, But he went him and his and his uh, writing partner, uh, Patrick Asen, went to the producer of that film, uh, John Davis. And, uh, you know, say, here's our concept. We've been working on it for a few years. Here it is. Do you want to do it? And they saw, okay, this is Dan Trachtenberg. He just did Ten Cloverfield Lane, and he did like that, you know, that big viral uh, short film for for Portal a few years before that. Uh, so the 20th Century Studios production president Emma Watts fast tracked the development for the film um, immediately. She's like, this person wants to do this movie with this thing before this movie's the the Predator 2018 was even released. They greenlit him.
0: Well, I, I feel like they felt that the Predator was going to be. A bigger movie than probably what it turned out to be. That's weird, though, because it was during production
1: of The Predator, right? So it's just like the normal response would be, hey, hey buddy, we're literally making this movie right now. We're literally in production. Go back. We'll come back to you after if we want to garner another sequel. But no, they were like immediately pounced on and were like, we're already making this movie,
0: but feel free to make your own sequel over here while we're still working on this one. I mean, it's kind of smart. It doesn't, you know, but that's like that's really it makes business sense to me, you know, like because if you have two movies that are sort of like being pitched around the same time or when being made literally at one time, like go ahead and like have one on the, in the back burner just in case it's good. And if it turns out to be bad and, and ill received, at least you have something to sort of like swoop in and save the day. So you're not killing a franchise completely with a movie, you know, Yeah. like Emma Watts seems like a good head for business and movie making, but comparatively like the predator and prey are vastly different and one is way better than the other one like obviously for sure but um there was another predator movie that came out before the predator just called predators i saw that one that's with um brody adrian brody's in that one yeah and i like that movie too i think i just like predator movies but i don't know this one is like superb though
1: so cast auditions were held in february 2020 right before everything was shut down for the COVID 19 pandemic Right. But by November, uh, what was then a secretive production called Skulls was revealed to be the codename for the fifth installment in the Predator franchise. I guess the seventh really, if you include the AVP movies, right? Correct. Yeah. So upon the announcement, Number actually indicated that the original intention was to market the film with no reference to Predators and make it a surprise in the theater. Something that obviously was no longer possible with the confirmation of the film's place in the franchise. Yeah. Plus, I don't think that's super realistic. That that smacks of, like, inexperience in the studio system. They're going to take advantage of everything so they don't have to spend an extra $50 million marketing a film when they already have, you know... A built-in fan base. built-in fan base. They're not going to do that, buddy. Nope.
0: They certainly are
1: not. Unless it's some sort of Easter egg. <laughs> You're like in Predator
0: 2. I mean, maybe, though, he learned that from this, like, 10 Cloverfield Lane experience, right? You know? Although I feel like by the time that movie came out, We were all, like, expecting it to be a Cloverfield movie just based on the title.
1: And now with all this multiverse, like, franchise greedy bullshit, we're probably going to get some sort of mashup with, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Amber Mid-Thunder and everyone else has fought a Predator to do some sort of, like, Thunderdome.
0: Oh, God.
1: (laughs) Post-Thunderdome.
0: We don't need another Predator. (laughs) Okay, Tina. in Tina.
1: (laughs) So uh, on November 12th, 2021, the Disney Plus Day, apparently, I didn't know Disney Plus had a day, the film was given the title Prey and announced for a mid-22 release on Hulu and Disney Plus internationally. Dumb! Really fucking dumb. Dumb. I remember thinking that was dumb at the time. And I'm like, okay, they really obviously don't have any faith in this movie. They're they're not even going to try and put in the theaters, which really leads me to think that the story must be that this was like inked
0: at the beginning and it was just too late. I mean, we all have hindsight now, you know, and I think that whether or not you have faith in a movie at that particular junction, right? Movies that we thought were going to do really well in the theater at this point were not doing well. Well, I think Disney had just also bought Hulu and they wanted to use it as a vehicle to kick off Hulu's release, right? Like, so it's like. I mean, that's possibly true. Cause yeah, by the time that, you know, Disney Plus rolled around, or a little shortly after, like Disney was like, we have Disney Plus, we have Hulu, ESPN, National Geographic. All these things are like bumped into one streaming service. So maybe they needed something really, really big. And still, like Disney Plus would never, at least in America, Disney Plus doesn't have any movies like prey on it. You know, I think internationally. Disney Plus is called like Star or it has something like that. Deadpool
1: on it now.
0: Does it really? I think so. Oh my gosh. Well, look at Disney Plus. Yeah. So maybe they're making some headway. But I mean like internationally, Disney Plus has a lot more adult oriented things on it.
1: Disney Plus has like an interesting way that it's set up. It's kind of like walled gardens. So I don't think they would ever, unless it was a new release, I don't think they would ever like advertise that on their homepage, especially if it's like a kid's profile. No. You know, but like you can go to the the Marvel walled garden and to the Star Wars walled
0: garden and to the Simpsons walled garden, you know, which is pretty much where I stay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, at least as far as Disney Plus is concerned. But yeah, no, this is ridiculous. I feel like if this movie were released in the theater, like maybe not the strongest opening weekend, but this would be a word of mouth like sleeper hit. I really think so, too. Yeah, I for sure. I feel like this movie would have made some fucking money and I would loved to see it, to. it in the theater I still want to like on this rewatch I was like I feel like I need to experience this movie on a big screen like just some of the way that it looks right the way that it's been filmed and like the sweeping fucking landscapes and I was like it is just beautiful and it looks great on like a really good TV but can you fucking imagine on, like, a huge fucking, like, IMAX-type screen or whatnot? Yeah. Like, it would just be almost fucking immersive.
1: So Trachtenberg explained his goal for the film was to get back to the roots of the franchise, saying, quote, The ingenuity of a human being who won't give up, who's able to observe and interpret, basically being able to beat a stronger, more powerful, well-armed force. Yeah. That's, and that's Alien and Predator, too, right? That, that's both those movies, like, to a T. Yeah. Yeah. So filming occurred in Calgary, Alberta, Canada in 2021, primarily in Stony Nakoda, First Nation land, 45 minutes outside of the city, with studio set pieces, including the Beaver Dam, where Nairo hides from a bear, and the Fur Trapper Camp, where she baits the predator. Additional locations included Moose Mountain and Elbow River. I like the names for things in Canada. I
0: know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's just head on down to Moose Mountain. You're going to cross Elbow River. Hey, I'm sorry. That's really offensive to some more time, <laughs> <laughs> but okay. So the, the area they filmed this in was 45 minutes outside of Calgary, outside of a city. That's a really short drive to something that beautiful. Jane Myers, a member of both the Comanche nation and the
1: Blackfeet nation served as one of the producers on the film. So not only is a the cast, there's a producer that's actually working on this. That's indigenous and uh, describing filming near Calgary. Myers said, Quote, we were shooting on stony Nakoda land. Amber Mid-Thunder is part Nakoda. Even I am on my grandmother's side. Usually when we start a production, someone from the native community comes in and does a cedar ceremony and blesses everything. But because we had so many indigenous people in the cast, First Nation people too, and since we were on true Plains land, they sent out just two pipe carriers and two smudge people to have a pipe ceremony instead of like cleansing, blessing, or protecting. They simply just brought everyone together
0: in a spiritual commitment. It must have been an amazing opportunity or at least experience for all these people to be able to work together on a movie like this. It does not happen very often. No, the
1: other thing I could think of is like
0: um, where there's like a community like that, you know, and speaking the language and and different things would be like Dances with Wolves, you know? And even then, I mean, we had some people playing indigenous people who were not, right? So, I mean... No. No? Right. Dances with Wolves,
1: I believe it was 100% as well. Really? Yeah, and, and that was, they were actually speaking Lakota, which is now a completely dead language. Death of Wolves is a special, too, in its own way. But those two were basically the only ones, as far as I know. And th- there's a lot of other good ones, too, but they don't have, like, communities of, of Native Americans, like, because they lasted the Mohicans. But there's not really, like, a community featured there. Mm-hmm. There's, like, a couple, like, scouts and, and warriors and groups. But
0: that's it. There's not, like, a community or, or a, like, a village like there is here or in Dances of the Wolves. I mean, just it seems to me like an incredible, like, bonding experience of these people coming together to make this movie. And I'm really glad that it was cast in this way, and they have these people making the movie to make it seem hopefully more um, authentic, right? But there's one exception, and that's Jeanette Goldstein played the bear. <laughs> <laughs> Bearface. <laughs> Jeanette Goldstein played the bear. Oh, my God. That's so funny.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So the cast preceded filming with four weeks of training camp, working with weapons and personal trainers while team building. They conceived sign language for the characters to communicate non-verbally. They're communicating with a sign language and, of course, in English and then also in Comanche. So they made their own sign language. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure like. You know, some of it was based on normal, you know.
0: I mean, you could tell some of the action sequences in this movie look really, really well choreographed, right? That would take a very long time to do. And it seems to be done, like, seamlessly.
1: I also like that the way the action was shot. There's no, like, slow, stupid, like, slow motion. There's no, like... um uh uh, shooting at ninety, to, you know, ninety frames per second, and then slowing it down to twenty four to make it look like there's really smooth motion in fights, like we used to see, like in the early two thousands or the late nineties and stuff. No, like it's all just done in camera, the way everything else is shot, done very organically, and so it's like the way the the, the perspective of the characters would experience it, and it, it looks,
0: it looks real. Yeah, you know? right?
1: so. I liked it. There's some indulgement, you know, shots where we see a distance shot of like the, the misty grounds where they're trying to catch the predator mm-hmm. where all the bombs are going off. And we see just like no more human activity after that happens, <laughs> you know? And that's great. That's fine. Cause you can
0: imagine that Amber Thunder might've looked over her shoulder and seen that, you know? I mean, some of my favorite, like action pieces in this don't involve the predator at all. Right. Like the scene where Naru is fighting those tribesmen coming to collect her. Right. And the bear and the yeah. lion. I mean, all those things are good. And I mean, I, I hope that we talk about CG at some point point. and she this. fights the French people too. Right. She kills yes. like four or five of them back to back. She's fucking amazing. And all yeah. of it seems just real and seamless. Like none of it seems Choreographed to me, like it seems effortless, yeah. and I like that. You don't get to see that very often in action movies. Speaking so of which, that wasn't scripted. So Amber Midthunder actually had a
1: particular focus on axe throwing, which led her and Dan Trachtenberg to add a rope for her quick recovery. She so was, just was doing that. On her that own? was figured. They figured that out during training.
0: Oh my god! I'm
1: sure a lot of it was, you know, you know, some special effects. Well,
0: it had to be sound preparation it,
1: but... and stuff, right? Because that's like you're pulling a rope with like I can imagine her throwing it with the rope. I can't imagine that insurance would allow let her, pull her to back. pull it back with the rope, <laughs> <laughs> an axe hurling towards her, yeah. unless they were doing it with something that was like foam plastic, you know? And I'm sure they did that, too. I'm sure there were lots of different tricks to be able to pull it off, but it looks real. So in real life, would you be able to throw an axe like that? And it seems earned, right? She figures it out. She make, You can see her making the rope, what plants she uses to make the rope from. You know, and all of that. And it shows that takes the time
0: to show us. And some someone makes fun of her for it. Like, oh, you have to have a leash for your weapon. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I was like, no, she just made it better. You dumb fuck. She's going to kill you. (laughs) Stand over there. Let's see if you can catch it. (laughs) So for real though, if you were out in the woods and you had to throw an ax, could you do it? uh i mean i could throw one that's kind but. of a weird question
1: because we have bars where there's axe throwing you know what i mean this is
0: why i was getting axe so we can go to places and like try it now and i am particularly good at it okay well i i have never thrown an axe and i'm kind of scared that i would not be able to do it i feel like if i were drinking and throwing an axe at these places like would let you do like you'd probably come home without a limb every time i throw that axe a bartender dies I would have to, like, go and find some orange flowers to, like, take care of your severed leg. Once we got home from that, I'd be like, it's okay, I'm going to heal you. Heal-a-tootie.
1: No, it's orange... Orange... Orange tootsie or something like
0: that. (laughs) Orange tootsie. (laughs) (laughs) All I have is this orange tootsie roll. I hope it helps.
1: (laughs) Not again. So let's talk about the look and the feel a little bit of this movie. There's yes. a lot of it. Yeah. A lot of the stuff just came together, like the casting and just like the story and everything. Right. But cinematographer, Jeff cutter, which I can't find a film longer before, at all. Really? Yeah. Filmed, uh, this in anamorphic format to get, you know, a better depiction of the vast locations using a relatively naturalistic approach without much artificial lighting to respect, um, nature and the, and respect the, the natural landscape. So like for the night sequences, he would mostly rely on torches And I loved the night scenes. I was thinking that while I was saying, I was like, this actually looks like fucking night. There's not like an X-Files light in the sky, you know, where (laughs) everything's like subtly lit. Uh, Or there's like this weird light out and behind the trees somewhere, you know, that's supposed to be the moon, but we know it's not, you know, but they actually did it. (laughs) And so, uh, you know, along with like soft, low, underexposed amounts of blue to really replicate moonlight. But he would also put um, like LED uh, lights on the backs of the torches that would further light their faces for the mm-hmm. camera because they had to put it on such an exposure to capture just like how nighttime it was. And I love the sequence where they put out the fires and obviously, and all of a sudden you see just like moonlight yep. all of a sudden and not everything's as dark because the contrast is gone. And I thought that was almost a little bit more
0: realistic. It's like, we don't need torches, you know, I feel like we were talking about something like this very similarly. when we talked about the witch, right? Yes, the way that it was filmed and how all they, natural lighting, all natural lighting. Right. So it seemed seemed really, really good. I, I don't know which one I feel did it better, but I mean, like there were moments in this movie that I was just like, everything looks just normal and natural. They did some excellent film filmmaking
1: as far as just like the cinematography and just taking the time to show us the landscapes and mm-hmm. watch her walk across them or just show us kind of the setting before we, uh, you know, as we get Uh, Show time passing, or as she's traveling from one place to another, to really like take all this stuff in. To kind of be
0: in that that world and in that perspective, and I love that. Well, I mean, the character herself is going on a, a journey of self-discovery and, and trying to prove herself, right? And like having these vast landscapes will also show you like how actual far her journey is, like on foot, yeah. And like how lost you can be in these situations. And we're in mountains and
1: valleys and forests and um, wheat fields or whatever, cornfields or whatever the hell it was,
0: or at least some like really fucking tall grass. Rivers, yeah, yeah. I mean, all over all that.
1: that landscape in there, they use. That the hell out of
0: it swamps of sadness and such and such day night magic hour i it's know her favorite time of day is night yes it is <laughs> obviously clearly
1: and uh. so i also want to talk about the music by sarah schockner so she'd mostly done m- like video games like assassin's creed series but it was actually assassin's creed valhalla which came out in 2020 that caught Dan Tracton Bird's attention. So when he was kinda of like working on this and location scouting, he was listening to different music, and that's when he's like, um, we need to call this this woman. Right? Because they don't have like uh I'm sure they they would have loved to get, you know, John Williams or something, but you know, you know, he fell in love and knew that he could probably win her over and he did. And I have to say it's one of the most varied and eclectic scores I've heard in a long time. Or even ever, and yet it still kind of achieves this unified feeling without ever being
0: stuck under a repetitive theme. I would agree. I so I've said this before on the podcast. I oftentimes don't recognize like scores until much much later on. Mm-hmm. I, think I kind of need them in a vacuum, and this movie is not the case. I feel like the the music in this movie fits like every moment, sort of like organically, like it just works and. I can't really recognize anything that is used more often or over again. It all seems to change, like the movie does. It's very, very good. Yeah, there's not really any, like, light motif
1: around, like, characters. In fact, like, the Predator doesn't even utilize the original Alvin Silvestri score. They, like, purposely, intentionally decided not to use that because it wasn't about the Predator. That was Silvestri? Yeah, Alan Silvestri. Oh, my yeah. God. And it's a recognizable theme. And so... uh you know there is a, a recognizable theme uh, for like the, the landscaping mm-hmm. and then there's some like recognizable themes um, not even really themes though just like percussive you know tension builders um, you know later on for like the, the more action scenes and the more tense scenes but they all kind of have use the same almost instrumentation in the back end and so it's all kind of tied together which is really really interesting to me and so I think like I'm really excited about this person and what they do next you know um, you know, and it and, and ended up Schockner actually recorded most of the strings herself. What? And of course got a Native American musician, Robert Mirabelle,
0: to provide the, the flute and the vocals that are kind of in the background folded in. There are some moments in this movie where I really like noticed the score, but um for me it was the end credits. Like I really, really dug that piece of music. I think it really fit exactly what they were trying to show and um portray it kept my interest it made me keep watching during the credits so along with so, everything that was portrayed
1: yeah and that was reminiscent of some of the action attention beats right and I think that track is called The Hunter um, yeah. which could be kind of compared to Brother in Arms from Mad Max Fury Road so that's the other Mad Max mm-hmm. reference so I'm wondering if they're like hey here's some scores I really like that I want to use you know and, and another thing was like the the big landscape sweeping scenes where she's like kind of in soaking in the landscape or, or traveling across it the main theme um, is kind of reminiscent to Trevor Jones score for The Last Mohicans. And fun fact, the, the main theme for that movie is the Promenatory, which is an orchestration of the tune The Gale by a Scottish singer-songwriter and Dougie McLean. But it's it's reminiscent of all of that, right? So it's like that's reminiscent of Last Mohicans, which actually take, took it from somewhere else. And then there's lots of Mad Max in there, but it's all put under the same kind of umbrella. That sounds makes it makes it all cohesive in this in this score, and it's just a really interesting score, and
0: I would highly recommend people listen to it in isolation. Yeah, I would agree because uh, <clears throat> I feel like I remembered watching this movie for the podcast that whenever we watched it the first time together, that very last piece of music over the end credits, I was just like, I need to look this up and like add it to a playlist so I don't forget it because I want to listen to it again, yeah. and I didn't, right? So today, I finally got to listen to that piece of music, and I was just like, yep, I like this one a lot.
1: Yeah, you know, and the Mad Max Fury Road score was one of the best scores of that year, and some people say of the decade. And Last Mohicans, a lot of people say that's one of the best scores ever done. Oh. Of all time. So when we're comparing it to both of
0: those scores, that's a really good thing. That's right. And this is nominated for an Emmy, so I mean, like, she could be winning an Emmy for this. But- and I would say that it's well deserved. Yeah. So- I mean, because honestly, like we have something coming to the Emmys. And I know this happens a lot these days with like cable television and streaming services. But we have a movie that is just like very, very, very cinematic and something that I wouldn't ever consider to be a television movie being nominated for these awards. And I was like, well, of course it has to win. Like clearly. Yeah. But, but I don't know what it's up against either. I don't either because I don't pay attention to the Emmys really. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe that weird
1: like Charlie's Therone immortal movie is like up against it or something. I don't know.
0: I need to probably look this up. Or just watch the <laughs> Emmys this year maybe. Maybe, perhaps. Before we move on from the look and feel, I wanted to talk about like CGI for just a minute, right? Okay. Cuz there were some moments in this movie where I literally couldn't tell if it was a real animal or like CGI.
1: They did a really good job. There's some moments where like the predator is jumping from tree to tree, and you can't really make the predator's invisibility like cloak because they have to show the audience where he is, right. like but not really show the character three. So it's a weird line to, to, to walk. And so that looked a little hokey to me sometimes when the, when the predator was like losing his uh, invisibility cloak or whatever the fuck it's called.
0: Well, yeah, that, I mean, more like, so like when that, the cloak when of that, sadness, <laughs> <laughs> the cloak of sadness, when, when the mountain lion was jumping into the tree and fighting Naru, right? Like there were some moments and I was like, that looks really good to me. Like, it seems very, very realistic and like expensive and i just it, it
1: looked real you know well if you think about it now like night scenes if there's a single source of light like say the moon mm-hmm. they, they had their, their torches out by that point right so there's only a single source of light so we go back to say like the the t-rex scene in jurassic park oh that's right right even though it was raining which actually hides some like occlusion and stuff You have one source of light, which is coming from the lights, you know, the light above the cage or whatever, and the T-Rex. And that's why it still looks at part of its puppet. But the CG there is so old, but it still looks good because it's a single source of light and they got it wet. Right. It's true. And it's dark. And so when when you're able to use CGI smartly. You know, there, there's a couple of scenes where I was like, mm, that bear, the bear, I was going to say the bear is probably the maybe least, maybe like use like a close up of a bear, you know, um, you know, growling or something and then cut to an action scene or something with it. I don't know. There's other things, other ways to do it, but that's expensive too, right? It's not a bear movie. It's, they just needed a bear for a scene. You know, so I don't know. Um, it's tough, but I thought there's some, some moments like in any CG movie movie where they have CG, especially with animals certainly looked better than the Ring 2, T-W-O. Yeah, it did. And this <laughs> deer.
0: Compared to those deer, all of it looked better.
1: Like, I, I have a pretty sharp eye for it. You know, I thought it was, even the wolf looked really good. Yeah, you know? because I think the wolf, they partially photographed for real. Okay. Part, part of it was, part of it wasn't. You know, it's when they mix those photographies. It's when something's 100% CGI in a scene. I think that's when you start to really like, mm, yeah, you know, this ain't no Richard Parker.
0: Well, it really looked like... I mean, it looked like they filmed an actual animal. And I was like, it really brings you into the movie a hell of a lot better than the Ring 2WO or whatever. I'm like, fuck, that sassy deer. Let's circle back and talk a little bit more about the language and historical
1: accuracy now that we've kind of set the stage. Okay. Right. So Tracton Birds said that they discussed whether they should start the film with a character speaking the Comanche language before switching to English for the benefit of the audience, similar to the Russian language in like The Hunt for Red October. Okay. Which I've seen movies do before, where they kind of just like one sentence or they have like a weird transition and they're speaking the language. So we know that it's inferred with visual storytelling that they are speaking Russian or they are speaking this other language. Correct. I think that can work, but I think it could have been a little hokey. And so they tried it and didn't really work. So they decided just to do it in English. Right. So the film was shot in English, but it was later dubbed in Comanche. With the entire cast coming back and performing in an alternate all Comanche dub of the film, which is actually on
0: Hulu and Disney+. Plus. So I remember watching this movie the first time with you. And didn't we say, like, this movie would be better if yep. they had... Four? All Comanche. I don't, I don't care about the transition. It's either
1: the way it is now or all Comanche. And I actually justified half a star. I said, you know, this might have been a four or four and a half or whatever, if only they had
0: really doubled down and made
1: it all Comanche.
0: Because I, I remember it like saying you know what, this is what needs to happen. You know, if this would be a much better movie <clears throat> if they would have doubled down on that indigenously cast and just had it all in their language and like subtitled the movie. Cause that is one thing.
1: Cause you know, they are speaking in kind of like simplified English, hmm. you know? Um, but some of them actually have the cadence of like native Americans, how you would expect them to speak versus because they're doing it naturally as the actors or like Amber mid thunder. It's a little bit
0: more average American accent. I didn't realize that this dub already existed Yeah, though. And so when watching it this time, I was like, maybe sh- maybe we should be watching the dub, you know, in the Comanche dub instead. Because it is the actors that are doing it. Right. Yeah. You know, and I kind of want to go back and watch that now just to see if it changes my experience because I feel like it would.
1: Yeah. Obviously the, the French guys, I would assume are still speaking French.
0: <clears throat> yes. You know, and the thing is, is that like they, they don't, they don't subtitle those French people anyway Right. And I think they do that for a very specific reason, because they're trying to make you feel like the character. They're trying to make you feel like Naru. Right. She doesn't understand what they're saying. We don't understand what they're saying. And I mean, I speak enough French to get by conversationally. But I love that they didn't subtitle it. They didn't. And I can't understand what they're saying. Like even me knowing some French, like even every other word, I'm like, they're not speaking clearly enough for me to understand what they're saying. I hear like "fam," right. And obviously yeah. Merit, but like they're from
1: the South of France. So you get what I'm, what I'm saying? Like real South, you know, <laughs> what? like Arkansas,
0: France, Arkansas, France, big, stinky Frenchman. <laughs> but I mean, I feel like they do that on purpose, right. To make us just that more aligned with Naru's character. Like we don't know what's going on. She doesn't know what's going on. Everything's like kind of frightening. And I love that. So, I mean, even in a Comanche dub, they don't have to have that dubbed at all. Just have them speak French. Still don't subtitle it. It doesn't change the movie whatsoever. And that's what I thought. I was like, after the third time seeing this now, I found that
1: the film actually kind of geniusly gets us quickly within the perspective of the Comanches, you know, with some littered in there, you know, especially when the only white guys in the movie are speaking French. Right. And so it makes that the foreign language for us. And we are on the holy, on the. We, they really wanted to ground us really quick with these characters. Yep. The best way to do that is to speak the language of the film that's coming out in our nation, you know what I mean? Which is English. Sure. Yep. So I think they were actually rather smart. It took me, like, there's a little bit of a highfalutin part of myself <laughs> that really wanted to be in Comanche, but this is a predator movie, you know? And that would have made it extra special, along with the surprise of it, had he gotten his way of it actually being a predator. Sure. You know, but I, I get it. And so, like, I appreciated it more, the
0: decision that they made there. Yeah, because you don't want to alienate half your audience at at first. You know what I mean? When there's already an alien in the movie.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of which, outside of the evil space alien hunters, the film is actually shockingly period accurate. Is it really? Yeah. So from the emerging uh, Comanche horse culture, the clothing, and the the village setting, to the hostile
0: French trappers, and even the period-accurate toothbrush, (laughs) the depiction's pretty legit. See, and I was wondering that. especially during this watch, I was like, I wonder how much of this is like truly accurate. It's a fucking Predator movie. They went out of their way with with all these
1: details and people are coming from indigenous people and saying thank you for doing this
0: because it's actually really accurate. And that's also good because I feel like they could have easily sidestepped that <clears throat> and got into some like real generalization about like Native American people, right? Like we see all the time and especially like older films when they are, right? But <clears throat> they, they're they trying to be accurate and they're trying to have people um, portray the characters that should be portraying them. Yeah. So I, but like in The Witch, we found out that they had like these tomes, these volumes that they were going you know, to base the clothing off of and the houses off of and things like that. So I was wondering watching this particular movie, how accurate all this was and how much research did they have to do to get there? You know, and, and that's my next question, which is what the fuck makes this movie
1: work so well? It doesn't deserve it, right? Because there was no one on set that was saying it's just a Predator movie. Yep. Yeah. They were making the movie they cared about, you know, and for other reasons. And that must have been the dialogue on set, which was we don't, we don't care about the Predator. We're telling Naro's story. Right. And this is the setting and we're grounding it, you know, and so I still have that question though. was like, was it because it was a passion project, you know, that the director had a hand in the storytelling and the writing, you know, and that, you know, everything was, you know, really came from like an earnest, grounded place um, that it's, it feels so genuine. Um, is it just like the right people at the right time? Uh, is it because it's so simple, like a simple story and yet so detailed, like the toothbrushes and the fucking Carolina dog that they got, they made sure to get, you know, you know, and I think it it's all those things. And I think it's because they focused on the, the characters, right. Instead of the predator, like we said earlier, a lot of franchise sequels get lost in the monster or just rehash, you know, and the predator is almost incidental to Naro's story.
0: Well, and I feel like every other movie in the predator franchise is like, it's all about the monster And being in different situations. A V P.
1: It's right there in the name, Alien versus Predator. It's about it's about just watching the the carnage.
0: Right, predators. The predator. It's all about that. It sort of like follows that monster coming to Earth. Right, and this one is also the right to your point. It's right there in the name, prey. That's right. It's, this one's about the prey. It know? is the fucking opposite which is of those movies. Kind of what the first Predator movie was. It was more like prey. It is, you know, because it it was the first time we had ever witnessed that particular villain, you know? <clears throat> and there were like questions that we needed answers to. And I feel like even starting with Predator Two, which is a movie that I like very much, like at I least remember, when I was a kid, it, yeah. You know, it still is more about the Predator than it is about Donald Clever, you know? Oh, is it?
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, we're gonna find out because it's looking like our patrons have decided in our poll which predator sequel we're gonna be doing and it looks like it's gonna be Predator two. Yeah. As opposed to the Predator or Predators or Alien versus Predator
0: Requiem. Thank God, I did not want to watch another AVP movie. All of those will be entertaining to talk about, whether they're good or bad. But this character is really, really good. Like, we've already talked about it at length, like, earlier in the episode. Like, she's a character, I think, that everybody can sort of get behind, right? Yeah. Like, she's underdog, but a capable underdog. And I'd rather watch a movie about that than watch, you know, a, an alien running around, like, slaughtering things. And we get to see that, too, though. We do. This movie has everything that we want. And it's given to you. And th- the... The right way. So all those questions that you ask, like Passion Project and so on, the answer is yes. You know, like, yeah, we had the right people making the right movie for the right reasons. And it shows. They were in it to win it. You're right. This movie does have everything. Has landscape
1: and music, dogs, animals, Predator, Armament Thunder, MTV's
0: Dan Cortez. <laughs> <laughs> Antique toothbrushes. <laughs> I mean, all of it. And I'm still mad that I haven't seen it on the big screen yet. And we haven't even talked about really Naro's
1: like themes, her story, which is of course coming of age, you know, yeah. proving herself. We talked a little bit about gender roles, the element of course, survival is always, you know, uh, a blockbuster theme. And then of course, to me, some of the best things are attractive about this film. The thing under the surface, to me, the fact that it's taking so much time. With the dog and the animals and the village and the landscapes and the music, the best things
0: in life are free, right? That's right. They're already there for you. And, I mean, like, it's it's all those things. Like, her story really is just, like, really, really good. I feel like the ending to this movie is very, very satisfying, right? Yeah. I feel like... She she gets she gets what she wants and what she sought out for and but she it's also bittersweet. It is bittersweet and she she talks. I mean, like she's there and I feel like she's representing her brother. You know, and it's like she gets there and she's like, yeah, here I am. I've succeeded in what I want. But I'm going to tell the tale of my brother like for generations to pass down. And that's why I like the ending to this movie so much when they have sort of the, these indigenous drawings, right? Sort of like telling her story up until, you know, the the cliffhanger part of the movie. Yeah. right, Because that's what happens in these cultures, right? Stories get passed down, including the artwork. And I just thought it was really, really fucking neat. And I kind of like the idea of revisiting these people again. Like I know that they have plans for other things that the franchise could go into places that would never expected. But I wouldn't be mad if we come back to these Comanche people again and see what happens like after this predator leaves. It may change it for the worse if we have a whole bunch of predators coming, like maybe what we see in this artwork. But I would still watch it and I would be excited for it. And I think that speaks yeah. a lot about this movie.
1: I think it is too. And I think it doesn't even forget, even at the end where she's like throwing down the predator's head. She's also throwing down, you know, the gun that she found. That's right. Which is, and then that is what she's referring to when she says it's too dangerous. Mm-hmm. We need to move. And it's just not really talking about the predator. She's talking about the them. French trappers. The people who are coming into their lands. Which is perfect
0: this it just brings it right back to the ground at hysterosity again it kind of makes me want to cry a little bit right now it just like makes me feel really happy in my heart i don't know like this movie is just fucking amazing yeah. when it comes to like the, the the people that it was trying to capture and doing it in a really genuine way plus in a really meta way you know about this film i'm
1: really excited to watch the careers and the future of this cast and crew and trackenberg what the fuck is his next movie I would love, I mean, obviously Waterworld, you know, two points make a line, you know, not a pattern, you know, but 10 Cloverfield Lane and Parade are excellent films, you know, and then Sarah Shockner, I'd love to see what she's scoring and I want to go back and listen to her other scores for like these games and shit, you know, Amber Mid Thunder. can't wait to see her again and Dakota Beavers, that was his first fucking movie. I can't wait to see him again. So it's like cast and crew like I, I don't remember the last movie. I saw where I was just like, okay, I wanna see this whole fucking cohort of people and what they do in their
0: careers separately or together. I mean, I would, I mean, I'll come back and make another movie. You know what I mean? Obviously, Dakota Beavers can't be in it. His character is dead, you know? But like, you're right. He was like, he was a really good like action star. But he was kind of like endearing and sensitive, you know, and I liked that a lot. And Amber Midthunder was really, really good in this. I think that she has a really good promising action career, like clearly. Yeah. And she needs to be in lots of things. The music was fucking amazing. And I almost never say that I would listen to the score just on its own. Yeah. Whenever. So bring it all. And I'm ready to talk about 10 Cloverfield Lane. So let's find a place on so that <laughs> yeah. in the docket, please. <laughs> we'll have to do a Cloverfield for summer blockbusters at some point. I also like Cloverfield.
1: Yeah, so. it's important. It's a yeah. good milestone movie. Do you have any fun facts for me? I do. So in August 2022, Bennett Taylor confirmed that the script for Prey revealed Billy Soul, a Native American tracker and scout, played by Sonny Lanham in the original Predator from 1987, to be a reincarnation of Tav reframing his last stand with that film's Predator as being due to subconscious memories of a past life. What? Yeah, I think that's a little weird. Okay. Yeah. Bennett Taylor also, uh, he played Raphael uh, Adelini, an Italian translator hired by the French. This character was first alluded to in Predator 2 from 1990 and later depicted in the comic book Predator 1718. So the engraving on the gun... At the end, that it kind of zooms in on for a brief second, reveals it's the same weapon that the Predator gives to Mike Harrigan in 1997 at the end of Predator 2 from 1990. Okay.
0: I've forgotten a lot about Predator 2. So.
1: Yep. So, yeah, you see that gun, and then you see, like, some of the artifacts, and you see that xenomorph skull
0: in the back, and that was the first. That's exactly what I remember from that movie, and will yeah. forever for the rest of my life, because I saw that, and I was just like, oh, my God, Because yes. all of us
1: were just, like, mouth agape and pointing at the screen, are
0: I know. I had like the biggest 10-year-old fucking nerd boner for that. And I was like, yes! (laughs) Yeah. That was our Avengers Endgame.
1: (laughs) 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 Totally. Multiple franchises? (laughs) We didn't even know the word franchise back then. No, we did not. Though still advanced, the technology used by the feral predator and prey is much simpler than previous films. I.e., the camouflage sections are larger. There's less armor, and the HUD, you know, the heads-up display, is very streamlined and simplistic compared to the other predators that we've seen, especially since this is a couple year, hundred years before, right? Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. And the the feral predator's biomask is made from the skull of a river ghost from Predators 2010. Oh. So on their one of their um, go to planets, I guess.
0: I kind of liked that the their tech seemed less, you know, advanced in this movie, right? Yeah. Like the, it's the
1: first predator to ever have, to not have the shoulder cannon, right?
0: And I kind of like that because even they advance in a certain way right it really sets the time period really really well I, I i really dig the way this predator looks right with its helmet on and everything and just the way that everything works for it and it's just different but it fits so well i was very excited about that the first time i watched it
1: yeah i like that they kind of drilled him down he didn't have like the gas mask thing either it was a much more bio yep hunter kind of situation you know, So it's just like, yes, this is humanity a few hundred years earlier, but what is the Predators with all their huge amount of technology and what were they like a, hundred year, a couple hundred years earlier?
0: And here we have it. And so it, it counts for it. It just really fits. And you don't get to see it that much. This Predator is largely invisible in this movie. And I think that's Good. probably the best. Because he looks a little Muppety. Yeah. <laughs> muppety Janice, hair. <laughs> I mean, it's not a videotape though, so I mean, <laughs> like it could have been worse. <laughs> Although, whenever the helmet's off and it finally opens its mouth to show its like you know famous teeth, and I kind of wanted to make that videotape noise for Ring TwO, be like, <laughs> just like it would fit. <laughs> Speaking
1: of muppety, uh the French trappers say, "I've got a bad feeling about this, and it's a trap." No. So those were Star Wars Easter eggs. Okay, Sacre <laughs> Bleu!
0: <laughs> Sacre Bleu! It's a trap.
1: <laughs> so the the films' uh, main and in titles were done by Filmograph in collaboration with Native American illustrators. So they were actually illustrated by Native Americans. They look right. Who provided an animated version of the plain style hide paintings, which depicts the film's entire narrative? Obviously, we talked about this. At the very end, the paintings include action not shown in the film. Naro, Sari, and three other Comanche are gathered around the severed head of the Predator. They look up and, amid lightning, see three Predator spaceships headed down from the sky towards them. We know that by Predator 2, they have that gun back. So we know it's eluded. They go back down and get it somehow. So I don't know. Hopefully, our characters are okay.
0: I hope so. Yeah, sorry. And sorry. The dog. (laughs) Sorry for sorry. Um, uh, That's one of my favorite parts in this movie, though, is those end credits. I just love it. And I especially love that scene where the ships are coming down and then it cuts to, like, the actual credits. It's just so good. And I hope to God that people kept watching when they saw that because that's I immediately got interested and just fascinated as soon as the credits started. Music helps too, though. Mm-hmm. Those are fun. Um, and I'm now very excited to watch Predator too. Seems like there's things I need to look for. But we have some questions to ask about Prey, like we do about every movie we deep dive into here at the Film Flamers, And we're going to start with, is Prey a horror movie? Yes. Yes, it is. It's also not, though. I mean, well, no. Fuck that. It's a horror movie. It's, it's violent a as fuck. Wolf
1: in sheep's clothing. It's a horror movie disguising to be... <laughs> it's a period piece. It's
0: a period piece of horror film. It's fine. Boring. Yeah. But I mean, like, there are some sequences, action sequences in this movie that are really fucking neat and kind of, kind of violent. Very, very violent. And I especially like when, like, the predator is covered in the, the bear's blood and things like that. Like, it truly is like a horror movie. And... I felt, like, tense the entire time watching this. Yeah. Like, I feel for my character enough to just really want to see where she's going and hope that she's safe and the dog. So, yeah. Were you scared
1: watching pray? Tense. Yeah, certainly the first time, too, yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't know about, like, outrightly scared, but tense for sure. Edge of your seat. Yeah. Always. There were some
1: small jumps here and there. A couple. Yeah, like the arrows you know taking people's people out and arms off and shit like that and just like there's moments in the grass where he was invisible and you can see the grass coming behind him just trailing blood at the same time you know so like tension up to the cusp of actually
0: being scared yeah it's really my first time i, I guess I feel like maybe maybe on a larger screen. I no, I mean I would I think I would
1: have been maybe a, a really cool experience with an audience in a darkened th- That's theater, right. Like a know. shared community experience. Like bloodbaths
0: feel good in a place like this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Nicole. Out of 5 stars, what would you rate Pray?
1: You know, I the first time I watched it, I gave it a 4 star. And because of the language thing and because I'm just like, it's a predator movie, you know, I could not bring myself in the second watch. I was like, okay, this is a four and a half fucking movie. And then my last watch, which was like last night and the night before I was just like, I think this is like a perfect movie. I feel like it's a five star, but I couldn't bring myself to do it. There's something just a little, like maybe it would do something just a smidge different about something. I, I can't put my finger on it. It really should have based on my own description and hearing myself talk, give it a five star. But I rated it a four and a half.
0: So you kind of took the words out of my mouth. So this is the second time I've watched this movie, and the first time I watched it, I gave it four stars because I thought it was an excellent movie, and I well almost made.
1: fucking cried at the end of it. And I was just like, "What? Why is this happening?" And I'm like kicking myself, like I'm hating myself for like reacting to this movie the way I am. Almost embarrassed. I did cry, time. and first it's like time. I'm putting it in some sort of like internalized
0: ghetto in my mind, which is preventing me from giving it a five star. I don't know. So I raised mine up another half star. So I went from four to four and a half. Same, yeah. I know I was just like, this is a really, really good movie. And I really enjoyed it on the second watch. I think the one thing that keeps me from giving it a five star is that somewhere around the middle, I'm kind of wanting it to sort of like speed up just a tad. Or I, I need a little bit more meat. I want one more scene with
1: the brother or something, you know, just something a little bit more meat for like the interpersonal conflict not any drama or petty bullshit no but you know what i mean we just like the character i want more of it i want more but like (sighs) you know i don't know something so i four and a half i think is a great score
0: for this movie i think so as well i mean I, i don't think that it's a perfect movie i think it's really really close i simultaneously want this movie to be a little bit longer but a little bit shorter you know yeah like there's just something in the pacing or the story or something you know and i can't I don't want to say that they they did something wrong because they made a really, really good movie that I'm excited to watch and want to watch again. Which, you know, kind of like raises my score up. Also, after we watched it the first time, you know, I enjoyed it. But I don't think that I ran out and told a lot of people go watch Prey. Mm. But now I feel like I want to. I'm like, hey, it's been a year. I don't feel like enough people are talking about this movie. Everyone go watch this. I want people to sit down and watch it. Especially
1: now that I know how much detail is in it and how historically
0: I haven't done like the research
1: on this movie. And like it makes me appreciate it that much more. Mm and you know that everyone just kind of came together and did this and then like after having doing the uh the alien franchise over the past couple of years and thinking about even our return to like prometheus and covenant and putting those scores up to like a four and a half which i think if gunpoint Head it it would be more like a 4.25 for those you know it's like if i was to look at the entire predator uh as of right now this moment before having watched predator for the first time in 20 years um Putting all of the movies from the Alien and Predator franchise together, this would be my number three, which is kind of shocking for a 2022 entry into this
0: franchise. I, you know what? If I'm thinking about everything as a whole and together, I think that you're right. I mean, as much as I love Prometheus and Covenant now, uh, I feel like Prey is a better movie. It would be Alien,
1: Aliens, Prey, Prometheus, Covenant, you know, and then, you know, all the others, which are middling. And, I mean, this could change by next week, I guess, when we watch Predator, but... For there to be five movies in the... If you combine the the Predator and and Alien franchises together, mm -hmm. five
0: movies that are four and a half or better in this franchise, or even above four stars, like, that's a great franchise. That's pretty fucking amazing. That's an amazing track record. The thing is is that the lows of that franchise are low. Are oh so low that it almost doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We can just forget them all. (laughs) But finally... Who's the hottest guy in Prey? (laughs) I guess, uh, Dakota. Dakota Beavers is really good looking. Yeah. Like, he has got the prettiest fucking face. And normally I don't say that about Beavers. (laughs) Same. Dakota Beavers (laughs) is really fucking pretty. Honorable mention though, the guy who plays The Predator is kind of good looking. Well, he's like a baseball player or something, right? He's like a basketball player. He's yeah. super fucking tall. Yeah. Like he's really tall and like he's just like has these boyish good looks. Like he's really good looking too. Well so, Dan Trachtenberg's pretty hot. Well. I need to see what he looks like. I'm so cute. Boy in next door now. kind of like, you know. I kind of. I mean, like I'm I I'm there for that. Like boyish, nerdy next yeah. door guy who's playing video games and planning movies based on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm all about that shit. I'm here for that. So off camera, lots of good looking guys too. Well, I think that just about wraps up our conversation on Prey. As always, we would like to know what you think about this movie. Have you seen it? It's easily accessible. And so are we. You can find us on social media at the Foam flamers on X, (laughs) Facebook, Instagram, threads, all the places. (laughs)
1: You can email us at TiredQueens at FilmFlamers.com or call our hotline at 972-666-7733. Oh, do you want to Dakota my beaver? (laughs) Call the hotline.
0: End it now. This ends here. This is it hand you a towel (laughs) I've ended it now all over myself Okay. I'm cutting you off and I'm
1: cutting on this AC oh thank god anyway as the AC wears on we should talk about what's coming out next week which is
0: Predator predator
1: and yes. then over on patreon we're probably going to be discussing predator 2 based on our patreon poll so if you want to join us over there you can do so at patreon.com slash the
0: and get all the bonus content and let us know which predator movie we should talk about over there we have all the rest of them yeah well robert
1: yes chris as i cool down from our wigwam
0: sauna yes it's hot i need to some sweet dreams well, let's go do it. You ready? Let's just say yes. it together okay. just in case. Sweet dreams. What's it called where you like take a drug and you go off into the wilderness and like see things? A spirit walk or something like that? Uh Alice in Wonderland. Sure if you're British. <laughs> Alright, let's go have one of those. <laughs> Florence Pew? <Pugh? laughs>
1: Dick, Dick,
0: Dick.